Let's Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. It is good to see you guys this morning. As we continue to look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, and we ask these three questions every week. The first question is this. What do we learn about the church? The church in particular that we see in the book. What does the church show us about Jesus? And what does this passage say to us? What do we see about the church? What does it say about Jesus? And what does it show us about ourselves? Revelation 2, beginning in verse 18. This is the longest letter to any of the churches. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and your faith, and your service, and your patient endurance. That your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses... To repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. That I will give to each of you according to your works but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only this, hold fast what, what you have until I come, the one who conquers and who keeps his works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken into pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our title for today is The Enemy Within. The Enemy Within. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that we will hear a better sermon than the one that I happened to preach. We ask all this in your powerful name. And everybody in the room says, On September the 11th of 2016, I had never heard of Lake Jackson, Texas. I had no idea where it was, and if I were told to find it on a map, I would have struggled miserably. I got an email on that day that I did not open for eight days from Jared Manning, our worship pastor. And when I opened the email, I, I saw that he wanted me to call him about the possibility of, of coming here to be your pastor. Spoiler alert, everything worked out. <laughs> and as we're having this conversation, it, was I interested 
And when he asked, was I interested, I asked in reply, where are you? He said, we're south of Houston. So I looked that up on the map. And then I began to evaluate what it means, what happens here. Asking questions of him. What's the major industry? And we all know what the major industry is. Chemicals. There are chemical plants here. Not just any chemical plant. The daddy of all chemical plants. And then there are other plants that are here that also deal with chemicals. And they're all intricately tied together for whatever reason. And I'll ask someone where they work and they'll tell me that they work at this place but it used to be owned by Dow but it's not owned by Dow anymore. And I still don't know what any of this means. And I'll meet some of you for lunch and you'll explain your jobs to me. And if I'm shaking my head like this, it just means I'm bewildered by the conversation. Imagine that once a month, all of these chemical plants have a meeting where they expect you to worship together. It's odd. And in this expectation of worship, every chemical plant is sponsored by a various deity. So you come representing your deity and your peers from other companies represent their deity, but you all have this worship together. And as you worship together, these pagan foreign gods, it dips into this laissez-faire view of sexual immorality. But you're a believer in Jesus. You've claimed to believe in Jesus since you were nine years old when on Thursday night, the lady at Vacation Bible School had buttered you up with those little cookies with a hole in the middle and the watered-down grape juice. And you have a real relationship with Jesus. So you are committed to Jesus, yet you're committed to your job. And there is this expectation that at this monthly gathering, you will go and partake and participate in things that your faith says you should not partake and participate in. If that is strange to you, that was the situation for Christians in Thyatira. And there was someone within the church who was encouraging this behavior. Jesus introduces himself, as he always does in these letters. And the introduction of Jesus is very much pointed at the scenario in Thyatira. So if you're to read through these letters, when Jesus introduces himself in Revelation 2 to the church at Ephesus, that is a particular introduction for Ephesus. When he talks to Smyrna, it's a very particular introduction for Smyrna. When Jesus speaks to Pergamum last week, It's a very unique introduction for Pergamum. However, all of these introductions speak into our everyday. And what Jesus does for the churches in Revelation is what what we need Him to do for us both personally and corporately. 
We need Jesus to speak to our situation and our scenario, and we need to hear Him when He does, because He never stops speaking. Jesus introduces Himself to this church using imagery that, that speaks and peers into the very essence of who they are as though as some who have not walked away from the faith but not walked away from things that contradict the faith. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? The words of the Son of God. The first time he's introduced himself as this. Every other letter, Jesus introduces himself in a very kind way. Refers to himself as the Son of Man throughout Scriptures. But Jesus says he's the Son of God here to speak authority over this situation. And maybe you're here today and you are locked and lost in some type of idolatry in, in the context of 2017. And Jesus would say to you, I still have authority over that. Who has eyes like a flame of fire. The eyes mean that Jesus can peer into every one of our minds and hearts. So do not be mistaken. The sins that we hide are unhidden from Jesus. And He's the only one that matters in the end. And has feet like burnished bronze. Burnished bronze is imagery of... The ability for Jesus to step on his enemies. But Thyatira doesn't seem that important when you read through the Bible. If we as a group of people were to hop in the TARDIS and travel through space and time, that's a Doctor Who reference for the three of you who've watched it. The city wasn't politically important. It was not the capital of a province. It was not a city of any particular religious importance. They didn't gather there to worship the foreign gods. It was not a cultural academic center. It wasn't a harbor city like the rest. There was no library there. Nobody had ever been born in Thyatira that we would recognize. But because of these guilds, you have a church that's in conflict. What does Jesus say to this church that's dealing with conflict? And what does he say to us as he speaks to this church? Because we believe that scripture is a timeless truth that travels through the lens of the church here to us. I know your works. Your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. So it seems like things are getting better for them. They're doing good things, acting in good ways, and it seems like there is an increase. I love being here. I love getting to know lots of you. I love being able to watch and even serve alongside of you in very difficult scenarios as we walk through the last few weeks as a church. I love hearing your heart for your community. I love seeing the way that people have bound together because they believe that God is doing a work here. And I've loved to see Christians in particular unite for this. Every time I've called one of the men or women of our church, if there was any way they could say yes to whatever my request happened to be, the answer was yes. Can you go to? Yes. Can you make food for? Yes. Whatever I'm asking, I'm always getting yeses. 
And I'm making a list of the people who say yes for later questions that are coming. Yes, yes. Let me know how I can represent Jesus to in our community. This is a really good place with good people. And Jesus, when he addresses the church at Thyatira, he said, hey, when I look at you, I see some really good things. I think we can get so caught up in what we should be that we forget the essence of who we are as a church at times. And for me as a pastor, when I consider what I believe and trust and I'm praying that God will do, I forget what God is doing. So let me just say an earnest thank you. Thank you for reflecting Jesus very well. When my family moved here, people showed up with meals. And I've got like four, five, or six kids. <laughs> You're pouring yourself out with kingdom in mind. Know that that honors the Lord. Jesus celebrates the church at Thyatira. And I pray that we will consistently be a church that celebrates what God is doing in and through our people. But he's also about to critique them. And he critiques them by using the name of an Old Testament person who everyone would recognize. Jezebel. Have you ever been in a situation where you tied whoever was in front of you to a larger than life figure? I watched my, my six-year-old Charlie on the football field and he is fast. Much faster than the, than the DNA that I provided for him. So when you see any fast kid, you call them the Flash. If there's this dad who gets everything done and you don't understand how they get everything done, that guy's a Superman. Or honestly, for, for ladies, because they're better at this than men are, she's Superwoman. Well, when we look to the Scriptures, there, there are names that are there. If someone's strong, they're tied to whom? Samson. If someone's tall, they're Goliath. If someone's doubter as a doubter, they're Thomas. If someone is a betrayer, they are Judas Iscariot. And if someone is a scandalous, shameless piece of work, they are Jezebel. Jesus draws an illusion to this lady. Because everybody in the church would know the name. Go here with me. I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. She calls herself a prophetess. 
And she is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So this has to make us look and into the scriptures and to look into history as to who Jezebel is. She is not of Jewish descent. She marries a king named Ahab who had problems in and of himself. And when they get married, it gets worse because she brings the various gods of Baal that is called Baal and they begin to worship Baal together. And she allows this to fuse itself into the church that is, the, the Jew, that is represented by the Jewish faith. They are infused and infiltrated by pagan religion. So much so that Elijah, in a scenario in 1 Kings 19, has to meet with them and there's about to be a showdown. Holding your place in Revelation. Let me read from you as we let the Bible interpret the Bible as to what takes place when Ahab, in 1 Kings 18, sent all the people... Of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So he's got the prophets of Baal, 400. He's got the prophets of Asherah, who's like Baal's sidekick. He is the Robin to Baal's Batman. And when you get here, he has 450 prophets, 850 prophets against Elijah. That's not good numerically. And Elijah came near to the people and he said this. What a great question. How long will you go about limping between two opinions? So one of the first things that we see as Jesus critiques the church at Thyatira is this. With the infusion of Jezebel through these trade guilds, the people are wavering between two opinions. And Jesus is not a fan of it. When Jesus looks at Thyatira, he sees what we see when we look at this story from Elijah. And he sees that the people of God claim faith in God, yet they have united themselves with something that is anything but God. There's nothing pure there. I got a call from Hope two Sundays ago and she let me know that water was backing up in our house and I'm not a plumber and I'm not very handy with tools so I called Roto-Rooter because that's alliterated and when I called them they come to the house from I think Dallas because it took forever and or Guatemala and when they got there uh, everything had, had worked its way out. So later that, that night, we're having a conversation with some friends who've stopped by, and they tell us about a time when, when sewage backed into their home. But it wasn't just water. It was a backup of the entire sewage system. The problem's not the water. It, it, it's what's in the midst of it. The problem is not that these people have a Jewish faith, it's that they have ceased to have one because of what they've allowed to infiltrate it. In Thyatira, the church had allowed Baal worship to infiltrate who they were. And they were compromising themselves and they were being led to do so by a woman in the church who speaks and her name is Jezebel and she is encouraging them and saying, you can worship Yahweh... You can worship Jesus and still do this. God calls us to this idea of purity. 
And when we, whenever anyone from my generation talks about purity, we immediately begin to think about how we view sexual relationships. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's, it's much, much more than that. Because when we look through the Scriptures, the idea of, of purity is us having a heart and a mind that is fixed and focused on God, that we are chaste people in every way. Which is what I think is so ironic about Jezebel's name because it means chaste and she's anything but. How many of us are painting a picture and portraying ourselves in a way that says that there is a purity about us that is not present in Scripture? That is not present in the way that we are living Scripture out? Jesus comes after this, verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexuality. She won't do it. The problem in Thyatira that Jesus is addressing is the idea, yes, of immorality that is invaded, but it is also of the leadership in this church that had allowed it to invade. So this speaks on multiple levels. On the micro level, we... As leaders in our homes, gentlemen, are to watch for the purity of those that belong to us. On the larger level of what we call the church, this corporate entity, there are leaders in this church. And we are called by Scripture to not allow things to invade that don't need to be there. To call sin, sin. Different variations of leadership here at Grace. We have the elders and, and we serve our church by leading. We've got deacons that are here and I'm so thankful for. They lead by serving. We have this body of believers that God has given certain people certain roles. And, and I pray that you would realize that none of us are faultless. That I, have, that I make mistakes and some of you are looking at me like, duh. All the time you make mistakes, Chad. You made multiple grammatical mistakes this morning. So, I would encourage you to pray for our elders. And to pray for our deacons. To pray for me and to pray for our decisions and our actions. Now this isn't a preference thing. This is about us leading in a way that says we have certain standards that Scripture lays out for us and as best we can, as messed up people, we're going to hold to those. Jesus gets serious with this lady. Many argue it's not literal. But just because something's not literal does not mean that there's not a serious tone to it. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent. And even in this, we see Jesus with a long-standing patience. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart. Again, Jesus going back to the introduction where He says that He sees with eyes of fire. 
you don't get away with this. I will give each of you according to your works. But then there's a group of people in verse 24. They're obviously not giving in to Jezebel's temptuous ways. But to the rest of you in Thyatira. Those who don't hold to this poor teaching. Who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, do not lay, I do not lay on you any burden. Is this just about sexual morality? No, it's about more than that. But every time that we find sexual immorality in the Bible, it is a variation in form of idolatry. We've got much more acceptable forms of idolatry than no one would ever accuse us of or, or draw their attention, draw anyone's attention towards. But how many of us have things that we idolize that honestly that fail us regularly, but we keep expecting them not to? Jesus addresses the church in Thyatira about their idolatry that has manifests itself in this way. How's Jesus addressing you about the way that your idolatry manifests itself? Your commitment to winning or being right? One of the great idolatries of our generation is the idolatry of the family. When we take good things and make them God, they cease to be good because they, we have infused ungodly things into them. But there are some of you who don't, Jesus says, and he challenges us. 24. The rest of you who don't hold to this idolatrous, fictitious, fake teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay, I don't lay on you any burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Jesus tells us again, as he told us last week when we looked at Pergamum, when the hooks of the world are coming after us, the only way that you will stand strong in the face of this is by clinging to me. Cling to me. What would it look like if every encounter that a person has with a member of Grace Bible or even on the larger level a member of the body of Christ here in our region they walked away and they said that person there is something indescribably unique about them because they cling to Jesus. Cling to me.
That's the challenge of Jesus. When these things put their hooks in you, you hold on to me tighter. And then Jesus gives some promises to us. He crowns us, if you will. The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over all the nations. Side note, this is shared authority. You're not getting your own nation. But Jesus is saying, because I rule that nation, you get to exist in the bliss of my rule. He will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And then he says this, and I will give him the morning star. Revelation chapter 22, Jesus comes back to this phrase again, the bright and morning star. We've heard this And when Jesus uses this phrase, what he is saying is, for the one who clings, for the one who conquers, for the one who holds on, I will give you myself. Well, Chad, we've already got Jesus. That's what Christianity is. Christians get Jesus. Non-Christians don't have Jesus. But remember what we've painted, the picture that's painted because we are people who are here, yet we are not here. Is that there are hooks placed in us by the world in which we live. Things that would pull us in the direction of the teachings of Jezebel contextualized in 2017. But as we cling to Jesus, when he says, I will give you myself, he is saying we are moving to a day where what you have been clinging to will be all that you hold. And there won't be anything pulling you away from Him. That's where Jesus is taking us. Today where we stand holding on to Jesus without the impurities of this world pulling us in any other direction. But until that day, Jesus says, until that day, As you cling to me who is the light. You will shine in a way that looks like Jesus. And that is expressed in the good pointed out in Thyatira. You will show love. You will show faithfulness. You will show patience. And you will show service. That's what it looks like when the light of Jesus, the morning star, is on us. And Jesus, until that day, when it's just us and Him, clinging to Him forever and nothing pulling us away, Jesus will show us in this life what is unlike Him. Idolatry and immorality and things that are that we need to have our attention drawn to so that we don't get stuck in them until that day believers would, de- would declare with their lives that the bright and morning star 
is the light of their path, who shows what is wicked, as well as showing us where to go. So Jesus says for us to be clingers. When the rubber meets the road, and we look at this passage as believers, I would hope that He shows us because of the power of His Spirit, which, which is there in His Word. The things that we need to run from because we're running towards Him. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Jesus, even now as we are, are, are moving to, to think about singing this next song, I pray that you will cause pause in our hearts. And in the steps that we are going to take as we stand, God, I pray that we will not stand out of routine because that's what Christians routinely do when we sing songs. But God, I pray that we will see the light that is the morning star shining on the dark things in us that need to be illuminated. And that your critique of us will show us how to walk away from those things and repent, unlike this Jezebel teacher in this passage. Jesus, I pray for, for the believers in this room that you've given us. I thank you for loving and patient and faithful and they, the way that they serve. And I pray that you will encourage their hearts even now. Because those are times where the light that is Jesus is shining on us and through us. Jesus, I pray that we will cling because you've challenged us to cling. And God, that this idea of being crowned as someone who reigns and rules with you. That though that is not something we have fully experienced, God, I pray that we will experience it fully because your word tells us that over and over and over. So we're going to sing. But before we sing, I pray that you would meditate on this for just a second. And let the light that is the morning star shine on the good and the bad.